Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less. This is a podcast about the Phoenix Suns and the NBA. My name is Max McCauley and I'm joined as always by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Max. I hope you and all the listeners had a good holiday period. It's been a, a weird week of Suns basketball with us both being quite busy over the, the period, but lots to talk about. We're going to do two things today, David. We're going to first start with the recent Suns games. We're going to use each of the games as sort of like a launching point uh, into a discussion we want to have. Yep. So we'll, we'll touch on the big topics. We'll talk about Aiton, obviously, uh, based on what he did yesterday versus the Nuggets. Uh, we'll talk about Holmes and Oubre, sort of out of the Washington game. We'll get into some rotation stuff out of uh, some of the other games. So it'll be fun. We're going to get into a lot of different Suns topics. Uh, and then we're going to move on to more of a round the league thing. We're going to talk about uh, fake Xmas games for next year. You know, we're, we're in the holiday spirit still, David. And we want to make up some fun Christmas games. Yeah, and I'm excited for this one. I think I've mentioned on the pod before, it's the... Uh day after Christmas, which we call Boxing Day here, when all mm-hmm. the Christmas games air from about you know 5.30 in the morning all the way through the afternoon, one by one. So uh, I'm a, I've been a little bit disappointed with the scheduling in recent years, so we're going to try and fix that to our own taste today, I think. I went freaking nuts on mine. It's just <laughs> nuts, so you won't be disappointed with mine if they actually happen, I promise. <laughs> okay. Okay, before we get into it, David, how about recap the last couple of games so we can uh, use them as launching pads and some sun stock? Yeah, as we said, it was a pretty weird week. We're back to our one win per episode <laughs> rule there, Max. But uh, a- apart from that, with one win and four losses on the calendar for since we last recorded, it- it's kind of felt like a positive week still on the back of that mini stretch. Mm-hmm. So since we last recorded, there was the huge overtime loss to Washington, 146-149. The back-to-back loss to Brooklyn, 103-111. Then we got the winner over Orlando, 122-120, also an overtime game. Uh, Then the loss to OKC and Denver in back-to-back games as well, Max. So the record currently sits at 9-28, unfortunately, which is last in the division, as we keep saying, but 11 games behind Sacramento, which Mm. is just crazy. Last in the conference, seven games behind the Pelicans are the surprising 14th team at the moment. And we are equal 28th in the league with none other than the New York Knicks, who might come up a little bit later in the Around the Associations segment, Max. But uh, we're one ahead of Cleveland at the bottom of the standings, but we're five and five through the last 10 max. So that's the little positive spin to put on the overall record situation. Yeah. And as you sort of touched on, even, even though they've, you know, kind of been bad record wise in the last five and they're, you know, obviously really far out of the playoffs and really behind a lot of teams, it it still feels encouraging. A lot of what we've seen lately, they've been losing some games and more encouraging ways than they were losing them earlier on. <laughs> I think they've definitely turned a corner. I think we're going to delve into yeah. some things, uh, why they've definitely turned the corner, and then probably some reasons why we're still going to get some bad games every now and then just because of how the roster sits, which is probably a really nice segue to jump straight in, Max. Yeah, let's do it. So we're going to start with the Denver Nuggets game happened yesterday, and obviously, David, the story there was DeAndre Ayton. It was, and and as we alluded to, we've both been pretty busy over this period, and uh, whilst we've both watched all five of the games from the week, uh, generally it was just one of us watching it live and one catching it up on replay, so uh, I'm taking the lead on this one as I was watching uh, that Aiton game as it was going. Being the holiday period, I I almost turned off after one, but (laughs) I'm glad I didn't because that second quarter by DeAndre Aiton was... Pretty incredible. A a franchise record 24 points in a quarter. And it it really 
seems, like we were alluding to before, with players and teams turning a corner, it really seems like Aiton's turned a corner here, Max. 24 and a quarter was a franchise record? Booker never beat that? (laughs) Sorry, I should say by a rookie for the franchise. I think it was the sixth highest in all franchise history, and, and you are right, Booker was slightly ahead of that. But my question to you, Max, is... As you know, we're both positive Dontich fans on this pod and, and learning to love Aiton. I've probably jumped in a little earlier than you, but I know you're even turning around on him. But uh, is the Rookie of the Year race back on at all, Max? I think it absolutely should be. Uh, I, the, the numbers Aiton's been putting up lately are, are kind of godlike. I, you see some comparisons uh, from people on Basketball Reference and you know the names that pop up are like Shaquille O'Neal, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, guys like that. Like He's doing some... Absurd things. I think he. I think I saw today that he is second in the entire NBA, only to Giannis Antetokounmpo in finishing around the rim. That one is definitely correct. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just showing off what. So back up here a little bit. One of the reasons why I include myself in this, and a lot of people uh, who were following the draft were were a little bit worried about Aiton. Were they worried that he didn't have like an elite offensive skill? Really, he was really good at a lot of different things, and obviously an athletic freak. Mm-hmm. But you know, he, he didn't really show off the dribbling. The shooting was okay, but it wasn't like out to you know way out to deep or anything like that. So it, it, the passing was fine, but not excellent. There was no like really elite skill, which usually modern NBA centers have. Yeah. But what Aiton has shown in spades so far is that his elite, freakish, supernatural, unbelievable touch is his elite skill. Like, it's just uncanny how he can finish around the rim from all angles, no matter what. Uh, it's allowing him to score so much, so efficiently uh, in, in the offense without taking you know a lot of possessions or anything like that. And it's, it's turning him to a crazy good scorer already, which I don't think anybody has expected him to do things like this. Like I don't think I, I would have not said he would have scored 34 points all season, David. Yeah, and the touch, as you said, is the one thing that's really um, hanging out at the moment as, as that elite skill, as you said. The ones where it really stands out are those... Uh, really quick lobs where he manages to mm-hmm. catch the ball and put it through the ring. And, you know, they're generally shots that you see big man with lesser touch kind of clunk off the back of the rim and things because, you know, catching it all in one motion and, and getting it through the ring is just not something that big men are, are all that great at doing. But he yeah. just seems to do it with ease uh, and almost every time, which, as as you said before, he's he's finishing around the rim better than everyone in the league other than Giannis. The other two that are he's just insanely good at are the, the jump hooks go in. I feel like it wasn't every single time. I don't think I've ever seen him miss a jump hook. Yep. And that also, uh, under the, when he's under the rim, when he's shot under the rim, he still finds a way to score. It's crazy. And if he, if it's not straight through the net, they're still finding a way to bounce around and, and go down, which is, yeah. again, just speaking to that touch. But these last five games that we're touching on, Max, he's averaging 21.8 points on 70% shooting, Jesus. 14 rebounds with six offensive rebounds, two steals, and 1.4 blocks. Now, I've seen quite a few people point out who he was playing in those games and that it's a small sample size, etc., etc. But if you kind of take it back to 12 games where the weird Portland situation went on with his, you know, benching slash illness mm-hmm. um, sort of scenario, you, you still get 18.8 points on 64%. 12.7 rebounds with 4.7 of those being offensive and still get the 1.1 steals and 1.3 blocks. So this has been going on a little longer than just the last week, Max. And mm-hmm. I think it's a bit of a change in role for him, particularly when Devin Booker's come back into the lineup. He had 10 offensive rebounds against Denver, only four defensive ones. So he's not just hoovering up defensive rebounds. He's making a legit impact on that end. And the assist ratio stuff is down. So he's not passing as much up from the elbow. He's not touching as much from the elbow. Um, and his unassisted field goal makes are up as well. So he's kind of less reliant on everyone around him too. And he's just going and eating himself off uh, putbacks and things, of you, as you've said. But seems to be a real emphasis on just running from rim to rim for eight and have kind of simplified his game a little bit. And I wonder whether... That kind of does match up with Booker being out. I think they were obviously down playmakers when Booker was injured and they tried to use mm-hmm. eight and more. But but now that Booker's back and everyone's kind of healthy, they've been able to maybe get Aiton back to the role that they you know wanted to play him in all along. Well, 
It's great because I nothing I hated more than when they'd put Aiton out at the, at the elbow or wherever, and he would just like stand with his back to the basket and just have no idea what to do and turn the ball over half the time. Yep. It was, just, it was so stupid. And the way they're using him now makes so much more sense. And I, I, I love that you, you go back to the Portland game because I, I want to bring everyone back to – this was not that long ago. This was, what, three weeks ago when DeAndre Ayton basically quit after the first quarter. He admitted it because they were down, and it's like there's, he's like, there's no chance you come back in the NBA. And now – and then yesterday we have him down, you know, whatever they were down to the Nuggets, 20 points into the first quarter. And the only reason they came back in the second quarter and made it a game was because DeAndre Ayton's effort. Uh, what, what a change. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, Max. That's a great point. And, and as you said, only 13 games ago that that happened, which is just, uh, you know, such a great way of spotlighting, you know, how much development he still has and, and how things can change very, very quickly throughout this season. It's remarkable. And one other thing I want to talk about is people are still uh, leaning on this thing. I see it on Twitter and other places where, you know, oh, yeah, great offensive performance. The guy still doesn't play any defense. Listen, he's not the best defender in the world still, obviously, but he's just so much better than he used to be already. Uh, and, the, and people also try to compare him to Enos Cantor. Dude, it doesn't make any sense. Enos Cantor is just awful in every phase of the game on defense. Aiden, even if he never gets any better on defense right now, is better at Enos Cantor because of his movement skills and his length. Like, the way that guy contains guards is you, – you see guards get him on the perimeter isolated and don't even try to challenge him, David. That doesn't happen. Bigs always get challenged in the perimeter. Yeah, and it's the it's the big thing that we, with him that we've said all along is that's the way that he can potentially stay on the court in big games and, mm-hmm. and impact games. Yeah, he's still got a long way to go on, on making reads and becoming a good kind of weak side uh, help defender at the rim. You kind of hear guys – uh, you know, I heard re-watching the Denver game, I think it was Booker kind of after an easy layup for Denver kind of yell out, you know, protect the rim to the big fella. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're really on him about that and he's he's definitely getting better at it. But yeah, he shows, you know, great movement with his feet. He's showing way more activity on that end in this, you know, last little kind of two-week, three-week stretch. And, you know, the defense has definitely come along and, uh, you know, while block uh, numbers aren't everything, they're, they're definitely up and... Uh, he's getting robbed of quite a few blocks too, which I'm seeing yeah, yes. a lot of people get upset about on Twitter. The one thing I will note about that is I'm almost 99% sure that those stats actually come from you know the home team scorekeepers most of the time and then can kind of be revised by the NBA officials after. So if you're getting mad, particularly while Phoenix are playing at home, you, you should be getting mad at the, the team for not crediting him with those blocks and looking out for them. I've actually been mad in the past about the fact that the Suns don't uh, grease the skids on that as much as other other home courts do. Like something like, I forget who it used to be back in the day. I think it might have been Chris Paul in New Orleans. But the, there was this one hometown like, advantage. They would just give the little ridiculous assists to guys. Yep. And uh, the Suns have never done that. It's always made me sad. Happened a lot in OKC too with, with Westbrook trying to average his triple-double. I mean, Westbrook probably stare down his own team's scorekeepers <laughs> for not doing it. I don't, I don't blame them. <laughs> uh, I, I did want to get into a little bit of... Uh, I know we're doing Orlando later. Yep. But, I mean, we're touching on Aiton's defense now. So, what do you think about his overtime performance against Orlando? Because that was, to me, that was like viewing the future of what actual DeAndre Aiton defensive monster could look like. Yeah, I mean, we're going to touch on Booker probably more so with the Orlando game later. So, uh, good to bring that up now. I think uh, that was a game that I didn't watch live. So, I, I kind of saw everybody's reaction to that and everyone quite being quite down on uh, Aiton having probably one of his worst games in this little stretch uh, during regulation in that Orlando game. But, you know, all I'd probably say on that is probably two things. I mean, one, they're the kind of plays that I've been hoping DeAndre was going to start to make for this team. I've probably been more vocal mm-hmm. on this podcast than I have been on Twitter about how high I am uh, with Aiton as a defensive guy in the future, mainly because I just don't want to get caught in any ridiculous conversations on Twitter, Max, and would rather bring them up with you here. Right. But the other thing that I loved about that was Holmes after the game going straight to Aiton and probably the bench's reactions. I think that big block that he had really high off the backboard, the, the whole mm-hmm. bench, including all the assistant coaches, were on their feet as soon as that block happened. And that's just like, you know, a, a huge sign of a, a sigh of relief of like everyone kind of getting really excited at Aiton doing what they all know he can do. It's yep. And you see that. That's why guys haven't got on him too much. That's why I've been negative comments in the press after games is because I think they probably saw in training camp and see in practice 
you know, every off day what this guy is actually capable of, and they're just waiting for it to come out on the court in important moments. And and that was probably yep. the first important moment on defense for DeAndre Ayton, and he shone. I'm right there with the coaches and the players, everyone who's standing up, because you know me, David. I've said in this podcast so many times, I don't I don't care about I care to an extent, but I I don't emphasize athletic yep. you know uh, gifts as much. I care more about whether guys are good at basketball and whether the guys understand how to play basketball. Mm-hmm. And to see, I, I don't think it was ever a guarantee that it was going to figure things out. And it's still not a total one, but the fact that he's already starting to figure things out, like in the past couple of weeks, like the, how much better he's gotten, so encouraging. Like you can't get more encouraging than what he's doing lately. And I, I am, I, 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 you know, I'm going to do a quick little re-rank here. I still have Luca number one, but you know, before I had uh, JJJ in his own tier above eight, and I, I think you got to put eight in with JJJ now. What are you showing? Like that, they're at least like next to each other. For me. Yeah, no arguments here. You know, I've always said that I've got Luca one A and and Aiton one B, and the only two guys that deserve to be picked at number one, and and I'm not changing that either. Uh, they've they've always been in the same tier for me, and and Luca has been out of this world, so no reason to to drop him behind. But mm-hmm. you know, that's no slight on Aiton. I'm I'm very very excited uh, for this guy, and as I said, watching that game on replay uh, or live via Twitter, I think, you know, all the fans stood up from the bench, as you said, because it was the the first time that we saw him really affect the game. And in terms of development, you know, I've said it on this pod all through the summer is the, the greatest thing about developing rookies is if they have some skills that they can contribute on the floor right away, then you give them a chance to get you know, max minutes and and really make strides because making strides on the court in the NBA is where you're going to see the biggest quick leaps. And, you know, what Aiton is doing offensively is allowing him to stay out there and and affect the game defensively, which we're also seeing with guys like Melton and Bridges for all their flaws. They are being a positive on the floor in some aspect, and and that's where we're going to see the other things kind of come along with reps. Yeah, and before we go to Washington, I just very quickly on Bridges, just because you brought him up, uh, I like you said. I watched the Denver game later, so I actually just got him watching it an hour ago, and yep. I was surprised there wasn't a little more raving about him on Twitter. He was really, really damn good in that fourth quarter. He that one play he had the the three pointer he made to bring it within three, where he just like casually, calmly steps behind the three point line and drains it. That was that was something out of him. It was, and as I said, I I hung in there and watched the whole game, and I was really impressed. I I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of fans kind of switched off and then. Uh, their kind of knowledge of the rest of the game was probably just Aiton's highlight package and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and that's not, you know, I'm not taking a shot at anyone. It's the holidays. People have better things to do after a, you know, 20-point deficit in the first quarter. So, um, yeah, I think Bridges really shine through in that fight back. And, you know, the last couple of games, he's doing exactly what you expect. You know, he's hitting threes, even though there is still some hesitation there, which is annoying. But he's also picking up a couple of steals, a couple of blocks, multiple deflections, and and really affecting the game that way. And it, it's encouraging to see with Bridges. I'm still very high on him. I think that was a great kind of ancillary piece to add to this young core going forward. Yeah, and I don't know how much to believe these stats. I'm always a big skeptic on uh, defensive advanced stats, but there are some systems that have him graded as the best perimeter defender uh, on the wing in the NBA right now. I don't, I don't know about that, but I, I do think he's uh, not getting enough credit for what he's doing on that end. Yep, and that's going to long continue with Booker, Aiton, and everyone else on this team until they're a, a winning basketball team, Max, for all our frustrations about what some general NBA types say about our team, that the kind of cold light of day is that uh, we're not going to get the credit or they're not going to get the credit until they become a, a positive on the court, which hopefully is coming sooner rather than later, Max. Well, the next thing we're going to get into is a little bit about how that maybe could become possible. Yeah. We're going to talk about the Washington Wizards game, which, you know, was obviously a ridiculous game. It was crazy. Uh, the three overtimes, the uh, <clears throat> questionable coaching decisions. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we're not going to talk about any of that. We're going to talk about, you know, it was it was Kelly Oubre Jr.'s homecoming. Yep. David early on going to Washington. And uh, he's been a little bit off lately, but I, I don't know about you. I'm still very high on him and his fit on this team. Uh, and obviously I'm also very high on Rashawn Holmes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but David, both those guys are free agents. 
They are. Kelly is restricted and Rashawn is unrestricted. But Bird writes on both of them, given that we traded for both. So And also, Rashawn Holmes is basically restricted because his mom's going to restrict him here because she loves it here. Right? <laughs> I think she loves anyone who shows love to her son, which the Phoenix Suns fans are, are definitely doing at the moment, which is great to see. Yep. So I, I think a lot of people are wondering, like, are we going to be able to keep both these guys, uh, particularly Ubre, because Ubre might be, you know, as a you know a big wing who has you know can walk and chew bubble gum, is going to have a lot of value in the market. Yep. So it, we got to look at like how are we going to handle our cap going forward because you know next off season we can probably have you know. So David, you're, you're the cap expert. You tell me, but I think if we with the cap hold of Ubre and Holmes, which are going to be about twelve million total. If we stretch Ryan Anderson and we get to, like, what, 30-ish? Yeah, I've kind of got the three levels for you here, Max. So, as you said, Ubre's cap hold is $9.6 million. Holmes is $1.6 million. So, the two of them together round out at about eleven point two. So, your three kind of options here, there's obviously multiple other options, but the three that I'll kind of lay out all to do with Ryan Anderson's contract is you either keep Anderson on the books and his full kind of $21 million salary, and you're going to have about $14.8 million. That's with the cap holds of Ubre and Holmes. You can cut Anderson, and his salary will only be $15 million. So you open up more like $20.4 million. Or you can cut and stretch Anderson, as you said, which basically takes his $15 million and puts five of it for the next three years against the salary cap and then you open up kind of that 30.8 million ish amount i will say that none of those amounts include wherever our first round pick lands or roster charges for having less than 12 guys on the roster but you know when you're projecting this early around these things i personally don't like bringing those things into the equation because you just don't know if the the suns are going to trade their pick or where the pick's going to be number one or or number 10 particularly in these new lottery odds. So that would you know, have a huge bearing on what the total number ends up being. So yeah, they're kind of your three options and you're really 15 million, 20 million and 30 million. So it gives them a, a lot of options to keep both Holmes and Oubre, use their cap holds to advantage and add you know, some real talent to this team, which as we said, is kind of where this team should be going towards if they want to start getting credibility in the league. Yeah, 100%. And not only does the draft pick affect uh, the you know how much cap space you have, which, as you made the good point, it affects it a lot. So, say they get Zion, you know, uh, I think if they get him, they're not going to be as interested in keeping Oubre just because, you know, they can only play so many guys in that sort of biggish wing position. That's a good point. So, David, here's kind of how I'd approach this, I think. You know, assuming we don't end up with Zion or, or something that makes us not want Oubre. Yep. I think I sign Oubre to a contract as long as I think it's, like, not absurd. And I think my limit would be, you know, maybe 18. That's, like, where I'm cutting it off. Mm-hmm. Because with the cap rising, I think that a, a forward of Ubre's kind of type, is, it's so valuable that almost no matter what, if unless he just totally tanks, he's going to be tradable on a contract like that. Say he signs a, a $15 million a year deal uh, for four years, which I think is that's very, very possible. Yep. And say, you know, Bridges, Jackson, uh, and TJ Warren are all working out great for you and there's no room for him. I'm pretty sure you can trade that deal because, you know, NBA teams just need wings. And especially if you're going to include a pick, like that's the kind of thing. Like, oh yeah, of course we'll take Ubre on. So, I think almost certainly I'm keeping Ubre unless, like you know, like I said, Zion or somebody makes him you know redundant. Yeah, and the shorter that you can keep the contract, the kind of more north you might be able to go with the dollar figure as well. I think right, Ubre's yeah. around 24, so you know he might actually be interested in only signing a two, three year deal to kind of get back on the market in his prime at 27, 28 and and kind of sign one more long-term deal. So, you know, there's obviously conversations to be had there. The the thing that I'd say is the way for people that kind of need to understand this a little bit more, the way that you're doing this with the cap hold is, you know, the cap hold amount is just the amount that goes against your salary cap sheet. And then you can pay them over the cap any more than that up to their kind of max if you want. Mm-hmm. So someone like Rashawn Holmes, who's 1.6 million is a massive advantage because that's all that counts against your cap in terms of trying to manage the dollar figure and the, and the salary amount, but you could pay him eight, $10 million a year. I will note that obviously requires the Suns to go into next season as an over the cap team, which our ownership has not 
really done <laughs> in the past. But as we were alluding to before, there's a real advantage and way here for the Suns to put a really, really competitive team on the floor next year. And this is how you would be able to do it because you can you know, keep Ryan Anderson and maybe even keep him to trade as an expiring contract, which I think is another thing worth noting, Max. You don't just cut him for the hell of it because he might be the last big kind of salary on the books that you're willing to trade to get something like a starting point guard or something in and you can still have 15 million dollars to to play with to sign you know a Miritich type that we've brought up on the pod before and then as I said trade Anderson plus picks and assets for for your point guard of the future or you open up more space and, and kind of look to sign multiple players but you know as I said Ubre is someone that you know I've kind of floated how the rest of the year goes is probably anywhere between 12 and 20 million. Mm-hmm. And then it's just all about the the timing of it all. You hope someone like Rashan you can agree with on day one, but then you basically make it official as the last signing for the Suns. Yep. And then Ubre's a little trickier. You kind of, you know, he can sign an offer sheet elsewhere to kind of force your hand a little bit. And then you're on the clock with three days to, to match or let him go. But again, you could... Uh, agree to a figure with him that he's happy with and then kind of make that your last two signings after you've gone and signed. And David, I'll point out real quick, I'll point out real quick, I don't know if you saw, I, I quote tweeted Brendan Clean who uh, who was sitting near courtside and heard Kelly Oubre telling a uh, courtside fan. I did see that. You saw that? He said, hey, hey James, referring to James Jones, tell, tell him to keep me in Phoenix. Yep. So apparently he's happy here. Yeah, and, and you know, saying those things is a, a very good thing for a, a restricted free agent to say to yeah, that, but he's right. he's showing it on the court as you said he's been a little up and down but his role's also been a little up and down you know you've got to think that joining the team during that huge away trip uh, means that he's still a little behind on knowing schemes and things like that I'm still not ruling out that they insert him into the starting lineup still at some point I think as, they should man I really do particularly if you're going to look at signing him to kind of a 15 million dollar contract you probably want to see him in the starters to see what his absolute max output with this starting group could actually be before you mm-hmm. you know sign him long term but yeah as we're alluding to here that there's a real chance for for the Suns to add both a a power forward and a point guard in in free agency uh, or trades, plus keep Oubre and Holmes. And that's where you you start to get a really deep, talented team uh, for for next year. Yep. And another point I wanted to make with this whole discussion is, you know, people often ask us questions about like, well, can the Suns keep Oubre? Can the Suns keep Holmes? And the answer is always like, yeah, but there's like a million contingencies and who the hell knows what's going to happen. It's hard to project these things. There's just so much that can happen. It is. And probably the last point that I'd want to make on that is the bringing down of Ryan Anderson's salary to match exactly what Brandon Knight with, was making is a pretty surefire sign mm-hmm. that the Suns had been planning for a long, long time around certain monetary figures for this summer Mm -hmm. and didn't want to waste all that planning by bringing in, you know, someone like Anderson on kind of six mil extra. So the fact that they managed to get Anderson to agree to exactly Brandon Knight's salary if he came to Phoenix, if they waived him, is a pretty surefire sign that they may be looking at that kind of $20 million or even $30 million option if they stretch Ryan Anderson to bring in a real top-level talent. And then again, you could bring the top-level talent in and sign Holmes and Oubre, and then, you know, all of a sudden you're you're really kind of working, Max. Yeah, but again, also, like I said with the Zion point, if you bring in Kevin Durant, just name the number one guy, you're probably not going to want to keep Oubre. (laughs) Yes. You don't need him anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it all all depends. We'll see. It's going to be interesting uh, to to monitor this going forward. But Dave, let's, let's kind of refocus on in the present and the near future, we want to talk about Devin Booker and his all-star chances. Uh, we're going to start off uh, the Orlando game where, you know, Booker was having a, a pretty good game most of the game. And then, you know, at the end of the fourth quarter, just went absolutely nuclear and should have won the game by himself, if not for some uh, questionable refing. Yep. I would say. Um, but anyway, I won't get into that. But just generally, I want to talk about how Devin Booker has uh, become, by the advanced metrics even, one of the better offensive guards in the league. I think he's the best shooting guard by offensive RPM right now. Yep. And that's before, and that, and those were old numbers. That's before he's had kind of like a nice few games in a row. So I expect him to be way ahead. Uh, defensive improvement, I think, is really there. He's actually trying consistently on defense now, 
uh, it's it's a night and day in my opinion. Um, so David, we kind of want to talk about like, is he gonna be able to make the All Star team? You've been taking a little bit of a look into this, and it's more possible than we might think. Yeah, and as we said before, this was another game where you were watching live, and and I caught it on replay. And you know, it's the kind of game. Uh, even though it only was against Orlando, it's the kind of game that starts to get attention, which, mm-hmm. you know, you can put the stats together uh, that Devin Booker has, and I'll rattle those off in a minute, but you kind of need those big moments, and, and you need wins. You know, he's not going to probably make the All-Star game if they're sitting on, you know, 9 to 10 wins still halfway through January. So that's going to be part of the equation, is this team continuing to get better and, and get wins on the board. But, you know, for the for the whole season, if you look at his stats, Max, he's kind of 25 three points per game on just 45% from the field, 7.2 assists, which is pretty ridiculous, uh, but only 32.2% from three. So on the surface, pretty great numbers. But if you look to since he returned and, you know, we're going to say the first time this season that he's actually been 100% healthy, he's averaging 29.5 points per game on 47.5% shooting, Five rebounds, 8.3 assists, 1.3 steals, and up to 34.5% from three max. So that's in the last eight games. And real quick, David, real quick before you go on, I still don't feel like he's playing that well. (laughs) It's pretty crazy, isn't it? I think you've noted on Twitter a couple of times and a few other people have as well. Uh, particularly after the Denver game, I think there was a lot of fans that thought that his final stat line was, you know, maybe a little generous to him in, in how he actually played. But that's a, a great sign of a, a great player is he's probably still got another leap to make, which is important, which is what I'll say next mm-hmm. is before we jump into the all-star conversation, the final teams will be chosen around the end of January. So he's kind of got another month of games mm-hmm. to continue this streak and really build his case for an all-star game. So if we look at last year's guards in the West, Max, Mm -hmm. I want you to tell me who of these guys is still guaranteed a spot. Okay. Stephen Curry. Yep. James Harden. Yep. Russell Westbrook. Yep. Damian Lillard. Yep. Clay Thompson. No way. I don't think there's any chance unless he goes really nuclear from here on out. And another one who is no chance because he's now in the East is Jimmy Butler. So they were the six Mm -hmm. guards. I don't think Devin's going to be lucky enough to be classed as a forward in the voting, (laughs) so he's going to have to take one of those guard spots. So that leaves, at the moment, based on last year's guards, that kind of leaves two spots up for grabs, as you've said. I would argue that maybe even Westbrook doesn't deserve it, but he's He's going to get it just because of his name. So here's his competition, and I want you to say who, at this point in time, definitely beats Devin Booker out for an all-star spot. Okay. DeMar DeRozan. I don't think it's definite, no. Drew Holiday. Not definite. I think I'd lean towards him right now, but no. CJ McCollum. Uh, I don't think... I, hell no. <laughs> that would be ridiculous to put him with a booker, in my opinion. Mike Conley. Not definite, but I'd probably lean his way. Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> that, my answer, that was my answer. Luca. Uh, so I think Booker deserves ahead of him, but I, I if I was going to guess on where who, who gets it, I would lean towards Luca. And your man, De'Aaron Fox. Uh, same exact answer. I think Booker's been better, but Fox would get it, probably. So, in summary, that means two spots are up for grabs, we're saying, and I, I very much agree with your answers, and that currently no one definitely 100% is ahead of Devin Booker for one of those two spots, Max. No, and I think you made the, the key point there when you're talking about how we the whole month of January coming up. Booker needs to make it impossible not to put him on the All-Star team in this next month. Yep. He needs to just go crazy. He needs to have, actually, like we said, we don't think he's been playing that well. He needs to actually play well as his new form, Devin Booker. Because uh, he's been, like, bad, playing badly as new form, Devin Booker. I want him to play well as new form, Devin Booker. He needs to have, like, a 30-10 yep. assist month kind of thing where it's just like, oh, yeah, this guy has to be in the damn All-Star game. And uh, I think he's capable of it. And uh, like you said, the competition is not the same way it was before. It's not impossible for him to make it, and I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm, that's probably what I'll be watching for the most over the next month. Yeah, I mean, if he averages 29.5 and, and, and kind of 8.3 assists as he has for the last eight games over January and the Suns kind of go, you know, 500 in that time, then, you know, he's going to get the attention that he deserves and he's definitely going to be in the conversation. Mm-hmm. I've got in my notes, which I think is on the back of what you said with there being 
quite a few, you know, not so definites, but that would probably edge him out at this time. Uh, I'm thinking injury replacement. Yep. I think that, you know, he's the, the kind of guy that may come in uh, if there's an injury to the West. And, uh, you know, we might see some players start to, you know, really big up his chances as well. Obviously, with the, the captains who pick the teams now as well, it'll be interesting to see who captains each team and, and whether somebody wants Devin Booker on their team. Yeah, I uh, I kind of feel like they would because NBA players seem to love Devin Booker. They love guys like Devin Booker who are just like, who would score from anywhere and just like badasses on the court. Yep. NBA players always overrate those guys. It's why everyone loves Jamal Crawford. <laughs> uh, so I think that he would go really high. But anyway, David, why don't you take us on to the next game, OKC. What do we have to say about that? OKC was another one that I uh, got to watch on replay kind of without emotion, Max. And uh, I would definitely probably agree with your takeaway or main takeaway from the game. And, and that's that Jamal Crawford kind of shot the team out of that one over his little kind of third quarter, fourth quarter stretch. And it just, it kind of got me thinking, you know, Melton really struggled to start the game in that one as well. And, you know, there's still a real question and cloud hanging over this team with that position and what to do going forward, Max. And, you know, what did you think about, you know, or what do you think about Crawford in the rotation at the moment, I guess, through the lens of that game in itself? And, and you know, what about your boy Melton as well? Well, here's my question that... Is, is Crawford still in the rotation? Uh, we we saw him just disappear in the second half the other night. Is I don't I wasn't watching it live like he was he hurt or was he just uh, banished? No, I think that was probably the first sign, uh, at least recently, where we've seen him come in and do exactly what we're talking about: shoot the the team out of it, uh, not play within the the scheme, um, and and not give the ball up. And Igor, you know, flat out benched him for a Kobo, and you know, yep. with the team, I don't think that change really uh, was the kind of catalyst for the team kind of coming back the way they did against Denver. But it, it certainly doesn't help Crawford that they went on a huge run. Well, when did they, when did they, go, on the, when did they go on the run, go, though, David? It was that when Okobo came in. It was when Okobo left and Melton came back in in the fourth quarter. That's, that's very true, too. So it's, yeah, more to do with Crawford not being on the court than who, <laughs> than who was on it, perhaps. And, and Melton, he made like a, a silly foul towards the end of the game, although he got very close to poking the ball away. But he was pretty good in that fourth quarter. Uh, I mean, he wasn't like excellent. The thing about him is he's still offensively limited. Yep. Uh, you know, he makes some threes and he bricks it horribly sometimes. Uh, you know, on, he's the, he doesn't really run the team very well, but he's still probably their best option. Uh, you know, obviously other than Booker at that spot. So he should get the majority of the time there. And I, I understand Suns fans being frustrated with him. Uh, the OKC game, he was not good, but that's going to happen with a rookie. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, and someone called me out on Twitter for this. Uh, Gibby, you know, mm-hmm. Brian Giverman, uh, about how I was so anti-Austin Rivers, and Austin Rivers is kind of, in a lot of ways, exactly what they kind of need is that, that next guard. But, like, yeah, basically what they need is Austin Rivers, if, if you take out, like, his entire personality and, like, everything about him, like, mentally, and just have a guy with, like, that skill set, that's what they need, and they, they don't have it right now. And I don't know if they're going to be able to get that for the trade deadline. Yeah, I'm not even sure with that, to be honest. I just don't kind of buy into that. I think the only reason that you would shift Melton down, hopefully, to the backup point guard position and Crawford, you know, essentially out of the rotation, more of a kind of emergency break glass type player in certain games if you need a bucket or something, um, you know, is if you got a real true traditional point guard, uh, particularly if it was a, a short term for the rest of the season option. If it's not that kind of a player, if it's more of an Austin Rivers player that you're choosing between, I'm kind of all for Melton continuing to start. You know, that's kind of my big question here is like, how do you weigh up Melton's development versus a stopgap option and, and the, the team getting wins going forward? And So so let me clarify, let me clarify real quick. I don't mean that Melton should be displaced as the starter. I mean, they really, they really need a guy who can be in those Jamal Crawford minutes. Yeah, who's okay. Like actually okay at that. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's a that's a fair point. Again, probably more about Crawford getting off the court uh, than Melton getting on it or yes. or anybody else. But you know, I want to go back to your, your your point on Melton's defense and and getting called for fouls and things. You know, I was talking very quickly to our our good friend Coles Wicker last night on on Twitter, and he was kind of pointing out that he still doesn't quite know what the Suns are even trying to do schematically <laughs> right. uh, in terms of defense. And I think it's a good point. I think anyone who watches the Suns pretty regularly can kind of point that out. And you know, I'd my response to that is just their best defense at the moment is just absolute chaos in the midst of being very very good offensively and they kind of get teams 
back on their haunches uh, through great offensive play and easy buckets. And then guys like Ubre, Melton, and Bridges can really ramp up the pressure on the defensive end, poke balls away, get deflections. And you're going to get kind of touchy fouls in those situations, particularly when someone like Jamal Murray's already gone for 40. I uh, I love that point you just made because uh, I'm going to cite something Eddie Johnson said last night when Melton had his foul call mm-hmm. uh, on, on that poke around. And Eddie Johnson's like, I wish they would have just played like solid fundamental defense there. And my thought in my head was like, the Suns aren't good at that. They're only good on defense when they're making like crazy pressure plays and gambling. Exactly. That's all they're good at right now. Yep, and that's all the good defense we've seen over this uh, week. And, and the little stretch that they've done is just absolute uh, chaos on that end. And that's what you're going to have to do when you've kind of started three rookies. And that's probably why it was very disappointing that they didn't bring that energy from the start in the, in the Denver game. I kind of pointed out on our seven plays thread that it probably had more to do with offensive execution and then them kind of dropping their head on the defensive end but mm-hmm. you know just to kind of round that out and maybe tie in the Brooklyn game as well Max I think we're still lacking a bit of depth you know Igor seems to be settled into his nine-man rotation as we've touched on a few times in previous pods and that's kind of getting the best results out of the team from a consistency basis because we're not seeing different guys come in and out and they can all kind of get familiar with each other, particularly the first and second unit. But, you know, both Melton and Crawford are averaging 31% from the field in these last five games of the week, which is just pretty bad. Obviously, Melton brings you some other things. Crawford brings you, you know, basically nothing else, which is making it even worse to, to keep him on the court. But, Eagle doesn't have a lot of options for all the negatives yeah. we've seen towards him for his rotations and things. He he doesn't seem to trust anyone outside of that. Well, you the know, re- David, hold on. I want to insert real quick here. Uh, in the Orlando game, when Crawford didn't play, Igor's rotations were fucking perfect. Yes, and that will probably bring me to why I'm tying in the Brooklyn game. He kind of mentioned after that three OT game against the Wizards that the rest of the bench needed to be ready. He then followed that up by only adding Daniels to the rotation and not really shortening the minutes of too many guys at all. Uh, and I'm a little concerned about that kind of going forward. The The last eight games, Max, and this is skewed by a couple of crazy overtime games, but Booker's averaging 38 minutes, TJ's 37.3, Mikhail, who's a rookie, is 35, and Aiton is 32.4. If that continues for long stretches for the rest of the year, particularly given one of those is Devin Booker, who has his own health concerns all the time, mm-hmm. and two of those are rookies in McHale and Aiton, kind of worried about A, their health, and B, just their productivity going forward. And and we kind of need a bit more of a talent injection into this rotation. And it kind of just, you know, it, it leads me to the, the kind of final question here, Max, and it's, do you still look for deals at the deadline to kind of finish off the rest of the year, or do we just keep going all in on youth and and not care so much that the results may vary because of that? Um, both sort of. I don't think you go all in, like trade your first overall pick without any protections on it, sort of all in. Yeah. But yep. I do think they should still be looking for deals because, like you said, uh, you don't want to be overextending these guys. Although I don't, I'm not worried about Bridges playing 35 minutes a game. That's fine with me. Uh, I am concerned about Booker and TJ. Those are those those minutes are too high, particularly Booker. Um, I think they need another guard pretty badly just to settle things down a little bit. Because if you notice this team, they they'll play really well for like forty minutes of the game, and then the other eight minutes will just be a complete catastrophe. Yeah, and they'll lose they'll lose so much in those minutes. And and if they could just even that out a little bit and just not you know hemorrhage points for two or three. You know, consecutive. I think uh, for Suns fans who watch the Orlando game, that's the most, uh, that's the best, like indicative of, of this of this trend, where that they, there were like, it was like a tale of like seven different games where they go on these awesome stretches and then they completely hemorrhage points for <laughs> ten minutes. It's, it was crazy, and I think that's a result of what you're saying. These guys are getting tired. They're not. They don't have bench. You know, people to go through other than Crawford, who's terrible. And right, I think I think that I would try to do is I would try to trade the Milwaukee pick. Uh, and you know maybe the first overall pick if they could, if they could protect it really severely and maybe try to get a, a, some sort of a guard, but man, people just aren't looking to trade guards right now, David. I don't who would you even target in that scenario? Yeah, I think you're probably coming back to all the same teams that we targeted early on in the year, and you know maybe more so some of the you know cellar dwellers or potential playoff teams. You know teams like Indiana, uh, Brooklyn again is another one. Teams that have multiple guards, they may be. Uh, the Clippers is another one. They may be willing to to let someone go mm-hmm. around the deadline. 
Well, and then the issue is, and I've heard this point made on a lot of general NBA podcasts, there's just not very many sellers. Yes. Like, these playoff teams are trying to win, and we don't really have players to trade to help them win now that we traded Ariza. We really just have future assets. And I don't, like, the Clippers, why would they want to trade somebody they think that helps them, even if it's Beverly who's not playing very much, but he's helping their locker room? Like, why do they... Why do they trade that for picks? Very good point, and one that we'll probably delve into around the trade deadline. Yeah, you know, if no move has been made before that, because yeah, you're probably looking more at teams down the bottom who are about to lose their point guards or or aren't you know interested in re-signing them that that may give one up for a future asset instead. So that'll be an interesting conversation going forward. I think I pretty much agree with you on that. I think they've probably made the right decision up until now, given that they you know seem to have been bent over a barrel for for any kind of deals for point guards in in the short term and um you know they should just be patient get minutes into these young guys but eventually probably need to to you know bring someone in because you've been quite critical of Igor I'm obviously a defender of Igor most of the time but more than willing to to point out when he makes some mistakes and you know I just don't think anyone really wants to play Crawford the the 20 minutes a night that he's currently averaging and because of you know the results just aren't looking great they've tried Evans They've tried a Kobo at, you know, short periods of time. And, uh, you know, he played when when uh, Crawford was injured the other night, as you said, against Orlando. And the rotation was pretty perfect. So uh, Crawford is, is standing out like a sore thumb at the moment in the mm-hmm. rotation. Every Everything else is is looking pretty good. It'd be nice if a Kobo were more like the offensive version of Melton, where like he was like actually pretty good on offense usually, but just terrible on defense, kind of like Melton, you know, the other way around. Yeah. He's just really not yet, though. He's just not there. Yeah, and he's very tentative on the court at the moment, and I think that's why yeah. they're, they're kind of pulling him or, or not playing him, is that he's just not being aggressive enough and um, potentially falling into that trap of, of just trying to run Igor's plays uh, a little too perfectly. I think it was Summer League where, you know, Igor himself picked out that Okobo was kind of, and we talked about it on the pod, I think, he was the most interested in running the plays rather than his own individual numbers. And yep. that's kind of gone against him a little bit as the season's progressed. He, he kind of needs to just play naturally and, and to his own game. Which I kind of felt like he was doing in that Clippers first half when he played so well. Didn't it feel like he was kind of just feeling himself? And yep. you know, I wish we saw a little more of that. Uh, but I do want to real quick just jump on Igor real quick because I actually I, I do think I've been too harsh on him. He's a rookie, just like all a lot of the other guys are rookies, and we gotta put, you know, put up with the growing pains. He's never been a head coach of an NBA team before. Yeah, uh, it's hard to manage the personalities and the egos. It's not the same thing as coaching Slovenia or Georgia when the you know the countries they want to play for those teams. Like it's, it's tougher, and I I've, I've been too hard on him. He is a, I think he's a genuine offensive, you know, I don't know if I'm a mastermind yet, but a really damn good offensive coach who has great schemes and knows what he's doing. Yep. And yeah, I, I think he's been, uh, you know, foisted a bad hand on him. He's been slow to adjust, but he's gotten to where I want him to get, especially if Crawford's actually out, like it looks like he might be. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I just want to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with Igor right now. And I think that I, I still have faith that he's our long-term coach. I think a lot of the criticism that you've made has been quite valid, I guess, to, to jump on the back of that. There's been other criticism of him, which I haven't appreciated uh, quite as much, which, you know, then when it's all lumped in together, it seems a little bit unfair on him. But we can definitely point out when he makes mistakes. But as you said, he's a rookie, which essentially means we're starting four rookies at the moment, yeah. if you include the, the head coach. And that's going to mean some growing pains. It's It's been a positive week and a positive couple of weeks. Uh, unfortunately, they're not quite eking out the wins, but I think it's got to do with kind of more overall talent as we've run through in this segment rather than, uh, you know, individuals not doing what they're supposed to be. Yep, I think we totally agree on that. Uh, and I'm excited to see what Igor can do going forward when he gets the rotation streamlined with Crawford out. <laughs> All right, All right, Dave, we want to do a Did You Know before we get around the league? Yep, so Max, with the Christmas Day games being and gone, did you know it has been nine seasons since Phoenix last played on Christmas Day? That's right, Phoenix last played on December 25 during the 9 10 season after also playing the year before. Before that, though, you have to go all the way back to the 96-97 season for a Phoenix Christmas Day game. A 108-87 blowout loss to the Los Angeles Lakers, mm. a team featuring Shaquille O'Neal as their young star who had 26-16 and 16 in that one. 
Two young rookies played just 15 minutes between them in that game, though. One for LA and one for Phoenix. Any guesses who they might have been, Max? Is that, is that Michael Finley time? It isn't. Okay. Um, 1996-97 Lakers. No, I don't know. Oh, is that, is that Kobe? Kobe's one. And think of Kobe's draft class for oh, Phoenix. Oh, Nash, Nash, Nash. Yep. Nash, yeah, yeah. Two Hall of Famers, Kobe Bryant and Steve Nash. A far cry from the big minutes our rookies are playing this December as we just discussed, Max. But back to that 09-010 game now. The Suns beat the Clippers 124-93 to to bring their running tally on Xmas Day to 12-6 and overall. Now, Max, the Suns team featured Stoudemire, who top-scored, Nash, who topped the assist column, and also Grant Hill, while LAC had Rasul Butler top-score for them and Baron Davis, the top assist guy. Eric Gordon was their only current-day player who logged minutes in that game. But, Max, (laughs) Phoenix had four players from the current day still going. Any guesses who they would have been? That's the 2010 team? Yep, I'll give you a clue. Jared Dudley. Yep, two are very much veterans now, while two were rookies at the time and and now probably class as vets themselves. So Dudley's one for Brooklyn at the moment. Oh, man, i got to think about this. Um... Jenny Fry? Yep, for Cleveland. Mm, I don't want to hold the podcast. You can go ahead and go. King of our pronunciation wars. I'm not going to say his last name. Goran is playing Goran in. Drudge. I can't believe I forgot him. That was the year that he did the, the first playoff thing. And yeah. Robin Lopez, who's currently in Chicago. Now, I mentioned. I'm not mad at myself for forgetting him. <laughs> now, I mentioned Shaq and the Clippers for a reason previously, Max. You have to go all the way back to 92 for the Clippers' last Christmas Day game before they returned in 2009. And a big reason they returned, Max, was because they went 19-63 and the season prior and landed the number one pick. Although Blake Griffin sat out the season, they still landed a Christmas Day game for that season. In 08-09, the terrible season, the Clippers lost back-to-back games to Phoenix in February. The scores were 140-100 to and 142-119. to 119. For Phoenix, these were the only games where Alvin Gentry was coach, Shaquille O'Neal was at center, and Amari Stoudemire was at power forward. In fact, Gentry had just taken over the Phoenix Suns from the fired Terry Porter on Feb 17 and drew the lowly Clippers in a home-to-home back-to-back. A team that Gentry was the coach of before the current coach of that time, Mike Dunleavy, took over. But alas, Stoudemire went down with a season-ending eye injury on Feb 20 and the Suns never really got to see what Gentry, Shaq and Stat Combo could do. So Max, with Terry Porter fired four months into his first season with the Suns. I'm hoping Igor can make it past Feb 17 in his rookie season. I'm also hoping the addition of a number one pick who happens to be a big man might mean the Xmas Day hiatus is over soon for Phoenix. Or maybe we'll have to land another number one pick to Max. But that's it for this week. But if we keep going, we're going to talk about Christmas Day and that theme a little longer with our Around the Association segment. I think you're reading my notes here, David. <laughs> well, was that? Uh, we'll see. Uh, you'll, you'll find out in a second here. All right, let's do it. All right, David, let's get into it. Like I said earlier in the show, we are going to kind of lay out our like, preferred Christmas schedule next year. I, maybe not even preferred, like dream, maybe the word for it, at least for mine. I don't, I don't know yours. Yeah, dream's probably... Uh, Better to describe it as it's probably got absolutely no chance of all six of these games getting up, and and that in itself because generally there's five games on Christmas Day, but we've extended it out to six max. Yes, and I'm telling you right now with the players that I have on these teams, there's a zero point zero 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 percent chance that this is possible. <laughs> but uh, so here's what we're gonna do it. So David's gonna do the East. I'm gonna do the West. Uh, we'll start with David. Uh, what is your first early morning East game, David? So early morning East game. There's The kind of top four teams by consensus at the moment, Max, are Toronto, Boston, Philly, and Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. The four teams who actually played on Christmas Day this year were Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, and the Knicks. So we also get the advantage of the two extra teams with six instead of four. So I'm going to write two wrongs here, and I'm going to go with Toronto versus Brooklyn for our first East game. And the reason for that is... Toronto deserves a game on Christmas Day. Yep. 
and Kawhi is going to stay with that team. The Knicks don't deserve a game on Christmas Day, and I'm going to say Brooklyn beats them out in free agency and therefore also beats them out on Christmas Day. And, you know, I'll throw up a random name like perhaps Kevin Durant to go up against Kawhi Leonard on Christmas Day. That's fun. I like that. That's a good idea. Yep, so that's that's our first early morning game uh, in Canada. Toronto versus Brooklyn, Max. I like it. I'd watch that game, I think. I would definitely watch this game, David. So I saw you uh, contemplate on Twitter the possibility of Dallas and Phoenix playing next year. I did. I did. Again, a dreaming again. But uh, Yeah, so uh, here's how it could happen. So no one really knows what Kawhi Leonard wants, David. He, he's really a weird guy. Maybe he just really loves the EuroLeague and is fascinated <laughs> with Luka Doncic. He's like, I want to go play with that guy. So Dallas would finally land a big time for Reagent. It's Luka Doncic. It's Kawhi Leonard, David. Wow. And not only that, they keep their pick if they get a good draft pick, David. So they got the second overall pick in this scenario. They have R.J. Barrett in their team. That's that's a kind of uh, dream case scenario summer for Dallas. It is. And they're going up against another team with a dream case summer. The Phoenix Suns not only still have Booker and Aiton in their team, they got their number one overall pick, David. They have Zion Williamson. I like it. I like it a lot. And as you'll hear later, Anthony Davis is no longer on the New Orleans Pelicans. He wanted out. And, you know, no really, you know, no reason to keep Drew Holiday anymore. Drew Holiday is along with Zion Williamson on Phoenix, David. Now you're talking about my ultimate dream scenario. We all know that I have been on the Drew Holiday bandwagon to Phoenix for quite some time. So, Absolutely. Uh, I'm all in. We got Zion versus RJ, the Duke reunion. We got eight versus Luca, the ones on each side. We got Kawhi Booker, some budding stars. It's a good game, David. I like it. And as I said, the, the games start pretty early, but I would wake up at any time to watch that game, Max. So mm-hmm. I like that one a lot. Should I go on to the third game of our schedule? Let's hear it. So the top four teams by record this year, Max, include the Indiana Pacers, who were probably nowhere near getting a Christmas Day game. And by Joel Embiid's own admission, Philly and Boston is not a rivalry because Boston keep kicking the hell out of them. So Indiana needs a game. Embiid and his team need a new rivalry. So I'm going with Philly versus Indiana. But there's an added extra bit of flavor to this. I think for Embiid to get a true rivalry, he needs a true big man rivalry one-on-one also, so I am saying that DeMarcus Cousins has a successful return from injury, wins a title with the Warriors, and then signs with Oladipo wow. and the Indiana Pacers. I love that idea, uh, although they're going to need to figure out what the hell they're going to do with Turner and Sabonis, but I, I like that idea. They do, they do, and obviously we're just going dream case scenarios here, but uh, the big... Th- oh yeah, I'm not trying to point out any holes here, because just wait till the kind of holes you can poke them in. <laughs> yeah, but I think that the main point of that is I think for Embiid and Philly to get a true rivalry, a, a Christmas Day type rivalry, he needs a big man to go against, and uh, yes. the Boston one doesn't quite live up to that height. Can you imagine the attitude in that if uh, DeMarcus Cousins is back to where he was? <laughs> There'd be a lot of ass slapping down the court like we saw between the two of them. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on to my next one here. This one's cheating a little bit um, because I'm going to use an East team uh, because I, you know, there's not enough West teams for me. I just need to cheat. But uh, So this is, I, I was mad this year, David, that they didn't put the Lakers and Boston together on Christmas Day. Yep. I thought it was stupid. Like, yep. Why not reunite that? You have LeBron versus Kyrie now. Like, why would you not do that? So I'm going to have LeBron versus Kyrie on Christmas Day. Not only that, uh, Boston traded for Davis because they have the assets. So this is Kyrie, Anthony Davis, Jason Tatum against LeBron, Damian Lillard, who I guess for some reason Portland decided to trade to the, the LA Lakers, yep. and Clay Thompson, who, as you'll see in my next one later, uh, Golden State blows up, and they're, and they're going to lose all their players. So I want to see like a really star-packed LA versus Boston on Christmas Day, and that's the most star-packed one I could I like it. Uh, it, it is very much dream scenario. Uh, you've you've stolen my thunder a little bit, so I'm going to throw back to you here, and I'm going to make you give your last game before I give mine, so I can uh, pivot to a different team for my last matchup, Max. <laughs> Sorry, you can still use Boston. That's fine. <laughs> Come on, give it to us anyway. Give us your last one. Okay. Well, as I said, but this scenario happens when Golden State just like they lose in the first round because just like they all hate each other. Yeah. It's a total blow up. Like, all those personality problems, those actually realize themselves, and it's a problem. Yep. And uh, so here's what happens. This is this is OKC versus the Clippers. K- 
Kevin Durant decides he wants to go to the Clippers because he wants to be in L.A. but have his own team. Yep. Uh, but his, his good buddy James Harden, also his team flames out, and Houston's like, we can't pay this contract. So the Clippers get somehow are able to trade for Harden and sign KD in free agency, and that's the team, right? Yep. They go up against the Oklahoma City Thunders. You got the, the, the Russ-KD rivalry still. You got Paul George, you got Steven Adams. So, you know, the, the Russ, KD, Harden, that, 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 you know, that speaks for itself. Yep. But not only that, David, Golden State's blowing everything up because, you know, that, you know Clay and KD both left. Mm-hmm. They trade Draymond Green to OKC. Because <laughs> OKC's just like, let's just pack it up. Defense. We want all defense. You get KD against Draymond, who's the one who drove him away from Golden State. You get KD against Russ. Hard against Russ. Just like I can't think of a game that would just be more awesome to watch than that. And that OKC lineup is just kind of filthy, dirty with Russ, Dre, and uh, you know Stephen Adams, who doesn't go out of his way to be dirty, but always uh, somehow ends up in in weird scenarios. And you know maybe we'll see uh, Draymond kick Stephen Adams in the nuts on his own team. On Christmas <laughs> Day, happen. I know for sure we, we'd probably see the first ever NBA team forfeiting to a team. They have to go up against Draymond and Adams. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Well, I'm going to pivot then. You've obviously uh, alluded to Golden State potentially blowing it up, and I'm going to say that that must have been after losing in the final. So we'll just wipe them out of Christmas Day altogether. Uh, I can't imagine a Christmas Day without James Harden. Uh, as much as some people seem to hate him play basketball, which to me is just crazy. So uh, forget all the other players on the team, but we're going to go Harden versus Giannis in a Houston versus Milwaukee matchup to round out our series of games, Max. I like that. I don't know if I've, I can't recall a Harden Giannis game before, but you just feel like that'd be a really fun one to watch. It'd be super fun, you know, maybe just, you know, by that stage, two teams that are, you know, pretty much centered around their, their one guy. No super teams here, literally just uh, one-on-one Harden versus Giannis and uh, two powerhouses of each of their individual conferences, hopefully still at the time, because I, I don't see Harden going anywhere even if, you know, Paul and, and things never come back to full health and Giannis is going to keep dragging Milwaukee along with him, I think, Max. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, I, I really want to see Giannis with another, like, superstar to see him. That'd be so fun to see, but it's hard to imagine how that could even happen. Yeah, it's just hard anyone choosing to go to Milwaukee as well, I think. So uh, definitely hard to see that one happen. But here's the recap of our six-game schedule then, Max. We've got Toronto versus Brooklyn to kick it off. We then have Dallas versus Phoenix, which will make all the Suns fans listening happy. We've then got Philly versus Indiana with an Embiid versus Cousins rivalry. Boston versus the Lakers in the primetime slot, which would be a huge rivalry even without all the players that you threw into that one. (laughs) Uh, We'll then go with Houston versus Milwaukee and rounding it out with the late night game probably going to end in some sort of brawl that means uh, some kid's not going to have his father there on Christmas night instead in hospital with the Clippers versus the Thunder Max. You took that way more seriously than I did. But I do want to say, the, I think the Lakers in Boston, it was a crime they didn't play on Christmas this year, and they got to do that next year. I don't understand why they're not hyping that up. It's Kyrie versus LeBron. That's true, and it's it's Boston versus the Lakers, maybe just trying to stick to yeah. conferences too much, which, yeah, it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense uh, if you're going to be away. Well, they used to have a... They used to do Miami versus the Lakers uh, in the old days. Remember that? I don't know why they're not doing that. Yeah, so if you're going to be away, it doesn't really matter that you're on the same coast as as where you're from, really. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, let's get back to some traditional rivalries and and creating some new ones as well. Yep, I totally agree. All right, David, should we move on to seven seconds or less? Let's do it. Seven seconds or less is this segment where one of us asks the other three questions for which the other has seven seconds or less to answer and has not prepared David, this week it is my turn to ask you questions. Are you ready? Always. So this is gonna be tough, David. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some hard ones. They're gonna they're gonna tear your heart apart. These are like which which Suns player would you rather keep on your team? All three of these are that. Uh oh. Yeah, that's not gonna be fun. I'm sorry. I, I followed. I'll answer two just to, so I'm not being unfair. Okay. Okay, and I will just say before we start, anyone listening, throw us your answers as well on Twitter. And when you're listening to the episode, we, we like to hear from from other people as well, particularly if they're specific Suns questions. Yeah, I think people are. This is a really good one for Twitter because everyone's gonna have opinions on these, and they're gonna be a hard fought. I think so. 
First one, David, keeping long term, would you rather keep the Anthony Melton or Kelly Oubre Jr.? Ooh, that is very tough. I'm big on kind of looking at your starting five in the championship team, and I think they're all in on Mikhail. Um, I also think that that probably means that Ubre doesn't hang around, and I'm still high on Melton as a long-term prospect. So I'm going to sneak into seven seconds and say De'Anthony Melton. I agree with you. He's just, you know, if he pans out, he's perfect with Booker, and he's kind of a more unique player type to be with Booker, so I agree. Uh, they get a lot harder, David. So this one's this one's tough. Ready? Let's do it. Mikel Bridges or TJ Warren? Uh, not as hard as you might think. I am all in on Mikel Bridges. Okay, I agree. I thought, I mean, TJ's just been so good from three this year. I think a lot of Suns fans have, have kind of turned his corner, but I, I'm with you on that. I just thought it'd be harder for you. I'm just really high on Booker and Aiton as a combo, and you're going to get all your points that yeah. you need there, and I just love Bridges, and that's why I love that move by the front office as well. Yep, I, I totally agree with you. So, uh, I, But I definitely saved... <laughs> The hardest one for last year. You can probably guess what the last one is. I think I know what's coming. Yeah, it's it's DeAndre Ayton versus Devin Booker, David. Uh, all right. I thought this might be coming. It might take me a little longer than seven seconds to explain. That's fine. You can take a while on this one. I'm sticking with Devin Booker purely because he has the runs on the board, Max. But I am very, very tempted to say DeAndre Ayton for a couple of reasons. One being health. I'm a little bit worried about Booker going forward, uh, and Aiton has shown no signs of bad or ill health, at least just yet. And I am just really, really, really high on DeAndre Aiton's ceiling going forward. And I think there is a chance that at one stage in his son's career, while Devin Booker's still on the team, that DeAndre Aiton is the number one option on the Phoenix Suns, Max. Yeah, I don't think that's crazy. Uh, you you sound like you're like one more uh, Orlando overtime away from switching your answer on this. <laughs> it, it's a lot. I will say it's a lot closer than probably a lot of people would say right now. His contract's because, better too. Yeah, and that matters. I was going to say that with the Melton Ubre thing. You know, I'm not saying Melton's a better player than Ubre right now, but when you're about to have to pay uh, Ubre fifteen million dollars versus you know DeAnthony Melton one million, it kind of it means a bit. Yeah, and so uh, listen. I mean, I'm, my answer is Devin Booker. I'm not as high on Aiton as you are, as a lot of Suns fans are. But I'm starting to see the argument for Aiton now. Finally, for me, it's just that you know the way that the game is now to have a you know a movement shooter who can also play make. You know, basically, if Devin Booker pans out, he's James Harden. Yeah, and I don't think it's if Aiton becomes like the best defender in the league. It's possible he has that value, but it's hard for me to see DeAndre Aiton having like Devin Booker's peak value. And that's, and that's why I'm going with Evan Booker. Yeah, I think it's a perfectly made point and, and is probably the right move. You've reminded me of when I brought it up, uh, you know, probably a month or two ago now in terms of uh, Phoenix's best trade asset. Sometimes the best way to look at these mm-hmm. things is, you know, who would get you more in a potential trade? And that's where things like contract and things come into play. If you trust Bill Simmons at all, which I think a lot of people don't, <laughs> he had a... I think he had Booker at like 17 or 18 on his trade value column and, and Aiton at 22, so it was close, but he had Booker slightly ahead. Yep, and that's probably the way it should be just for now, Max. Yep, I think I agree. But anyway, I think that's it for us. David, you wanted to mention a few reviews before we sign off here. Yeah, I just wanted to shout out to Scotty Coe, who I reckon is Scott Coleman on Twitter. Uh, let us know if I've got that right, Scott. Uh, he gave us a review. We got three more five-star ratings as well over Australia and the US, and we're itching forever closer to our goal of 55 stars on the US iTunes. So uh, if you're listening and you haven't given us a review or a rating just yet, please do so and we will definitely shout you out. But we're continuing our long seven-game homestand with just uh, the Warriors and Philly to come to round out December, Max, which means that our our next episode will probably be another monthly recap. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Maybe we'll get a guest on for the first time in a while. Uh, We'll see. Yep. But anyway, yeah, as David said, please give us a review. It helps us a lot. Uh, Please subscribe. Please rate. As always, you can follow me at MaxMCC11 on Twitter. You can follow David at The Four Point Play on Twitter. You can follow our podcast at 7SOLPod on Twitter. David, thanks. This was fun. It was, and have a great New Year, Max, if I don't speak to you before then. And everyone listening as well, have a a safe and happy uh, turn of the year. And uh, Max and I will talk to you in 2019. Yeah, you'll be there before us, so I'll let us know on Twitter how it is. (laughs) Thanks, guys.